Hi, welcome to Parenting the Adlerian Way. I'm your host, Adlerian family counselor and parenting expert, Allison Schaefer. Each week, I answer your burning parenting questions to help reduce the stress of parenting one tip at a time. We'll explore Adlerian psychology together and learn methods of child guidance for raising a happy, confident, capable, resilient child. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, it's Allison, and welcome back to the podcast. We have another guest interview for you today. We're going to be speaking with Jim White, and he is an author, a coach, and the founder of the Family Enrichment Academy. He has been married for 40 years and has six children, as well as 13 grandchildren. His background as a family enrichment coach and life experience provides him with a unique perspective on parenthood. His book, How to Be the Parent Your Teenager Needs You to Be, is his second book on parenting. Welcome to the podcast, Jim. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. My pleasure. Looking forward to it. Yeah. So what was your first book title? You know, actually, it's it was called Because I Said So. And that was like 20 years ago. And it's a little bit of an interesting story to that. I um, And actually, I describe it in the current book. I got started writing. 20 years ago or so, more like journaling activities. And it was a way for me to process information and, um, you know, just sort of think through and reflect a little bit about things I were reading or experiences I was having. And I found myself, I had accumulated quite a bit of material and I thought, you know, I need to put this into a book. So I I created and self-published a book. And it really, at that point, was more for our own personal use. It had a lot of family stories in it. You know, it was a lot about experiences and stories and situations that we had experienced as a family. So but it got the the writing flow going. And um, I mean, I'm an author, I've penned books too, but it, for me, it's a more excruciating process. It's nothing I would ever do voluntarily. So I'm, hats off to you. <laughs> and, and thank you so much for sending me a preview copy um, of your book so that I, I could dig into it before our conversation today. I really found, and tell me if this is your experience in the academy and, and your private practice, um, 
a lot of teenagers needed and families with teenagers, parents of teenagers needed a lot of support during this pandemic. Did you find that that proportion of your practice? Yeah, it's an interesting dynamic. All of us experienced it was more isolation. I think it's around connection becomes part of the issue that a lot of people experience through the, you know, just being at home, not being able to connect in the normal way and have those normal social interactions uh, created a lot of issue for. And then you think about teenagers, you know, the whole process of going to school and being in school. You know, a lot of them were robbed of that. And actually, from a personal experience, my youngest daughter was a senior. So her second semester senior year was disrupted at the start of the pandemic, you know, so she did not get to have graduation in a normal way. She did not get to have prom like everybody else had, you know, so there and uh, there was a sense of loss. To, for a lot of those kids that they missed out on uh, some of the normal activities that they were anticipating. And so there's a little bit of a grieving process to go through there as well. So absolutely, I think, you know, it has an impact and it still is. I mean, I, I think my daughter's perspective is different um, than my older children who didn't go through that, um, through that process during her high school years. Uh, yeah, I would agree that the impact of the pandemic really depended on what age and stage and, and and also some of the foundational pieces that were happening with the family. Some people really thrived being home with their family and some families that were under pressure really cracked under the pressure and right. it, was, it was really difficult. And I'd say it, the teen years uh, are, are kind of unique and, and connection means something very different. It's a premise of your book. So so talk about specifically the teen the teen need for connection and uh, and how parents need to respond to that or recognize it. Yeah. So, you know, we all need to feel connected and, and the uh, sometimes a better way to express that is the idea of being alone. I mean, we, we, it's, very trying to feel like you're isolated alone or left out and your teenager is no different than anybody else from that standpoint and in fact they may have a little bit of it may be accentuated a little bit for them because they're going through this process of I'll call it disconnecting or trying to explore their independence a little bit more. So they want to pull away from their parents some, but at the same time, that's a scary place to be because then when they do that, they start to feel that little bit of, okay, I'm out here on an island some. And so it's, it, they're in conflict about it because they want to pull away, but then they don't, and then they want to, and then they don't. And I think then for the parent, the goal is to recognize that they're going through that and it, it creates an opportunity for the parent to be very intentional about building connection and keeping that connection with the teenager as a priority, because it's just so valuable for the teenager. And um, it's just, it's part of the parent role to be able to be the the person that takes the lead on that, if you will, because the teen, you know, the teenager doesn't really know, you know, a lot of times they can't even express what they're going through. They're having these feelings and these emotions, but yet they don't know how to put it into words. And so that's, where the parent can step into that and lean into it a little bit and and work to develop that connection to provide that that sense to the teen. It's a safe it becomes a safety net for the teenager at that point. I'm sure I wouldn't be the first person to challenge you on this, but how, how have you not had parents say, but I want to connect with them, but I can't get them out of their bedroom. They won't come down and watch a movie with the family. They don't come to the family dinner table anymore. I can't get them to do family things. It's not for me, my lack of wanting. How do I get them to want my connection? Yeah, it's interesting. And that does come up a lot. And, and parents feel that way. And I always will assert to them, 
that they do want it deep down inside, even though they don't act like it, but it's there. And, and, and the place to start, though, is for the parent to do a little self-reflection as far as how are they approaching those engagements. And um, in the in my book, I talk about we all have these two different mindsets that reside within us. Uh, one of them is fear-based and one of them is love-based. And in any given circumstance, we're going to be responding in one of, you know, from one of those two different mindsets. And unfortunately, what starts to happen is we start to respond. The default response becomes more fear-based. And when you do that, it doesn't provide the opportunity to build connection and connect. And so the parent that's saying that, a lot of times they start to be, and, and quite honestly, they're almost afraid that they're losing that connection. And so they become fearful. And it's almost like, you know, the person that's desperate for the new boyfriend or the new girlfriend, right? When, the, when they sense desperation, it's a turnoff, you know, it, it damages the connection. And so the first place for the parent is to start to really assess where they are and if they're coming from a love-based mindset, when they see that teenager resisting coming to the dinner table, for example, it puts you in a place where you can have some compassion for what the teen's going through, or you can have some forgiveness. And then when you engage with them, it, and that's, it, to be quite honest, the title of my book is How to Be the Parent Your Teenager Needs You to Be, that to be is critical in it. And it's, you know, what is the underlying message that you're communicating just by your presence and how you're, where are you coming from? You know, it, again, to use an example, you know, you can say, I love you, but you know that the, it's the context behind that that has a lot of meaning to it. And so that process for the parent of sort of doing a little self-evaluation, where are they coming from? And then from there, once you're in a good place, it's then, okay, how can I find ways to build connection? Like, like you said, the dinner tables may be an issue. Think of it as like steps, you know, that's 10 steps away. I need to start one step away. You know, how can I step into building connection in another area that's going to help improve it two percentage points or three percentage points. Then I go from there and I build another two or three, you know, and eventually you'll get to where they come to the dinner table. Um, but sometimes there's a gap there and you got to just continue to bridge that gap and you have to be intentional about it and continue to work towards it. That's the role of the parent. Mm. And then really have some faith that that process is going to pay off if you have the patience and the consistency you know, right. Step baby step by baby step by baby step and not get discouraged when you say, well, I, I gave them three invitations to do something fun and they didn't take any of them. So I'm I'm right. not I'm not I give up. I'm I'll wait for them to show me some some love and back and take the right. initiative. Right. A, a great analogy I've heard. It's like a, a planting a plant. The roots have to grow first. And, and when that's happening, you don't see any results above the ground. Right. It's all. But there's a lot going on underneath the ground. But eventually that plant will prop up. And so, you you know, you work and you work and you build connection and you may not see a result. And then one day, six months from now, your teenager walks up, gives you a hug and says, I love you. And it's like it's completely out of the blue. How did that happen? But it's it's because you continue to build that foundation over time. Um, and that's where another sort of theme I like to work with with parents is the idea of being the hero within your family. You know, the parent is the one that takes the stand for love and continues to lean into those conversations um, because somebody has to. Right. Somebody has to be that hero within the family. And part of our role at the Family Enrichment Academy is to provide a community of support for those heroes 
out in their family because sometimes they may not feel that supported within their family, for example. And so that's and that's part of what you're doing with the work that you do and what we try to do is you know continue to provide encouragement and empowerment and support for the people to step into that and um, continue to to uh, engage and and move along their journey. In Adlerian parlance, we say that um, a, a discouraged parent can't be an encouraging parent to their child, that we ourselves have to have our bucket full before we can, you know, then pass that encouragement along to our kids. And it's draining to be a parent. And we do have to either self-encourage or find those support systems outside the family, that that community for those those, you know, individual heroes that are doing their hero's journey behind the closed walls of their houses. Right. Exactly. It's um, it's critical. And you do, you know, as a parent, it's, um, you know, it helps to have that support, obviously. Um, And that's where, you know, the first I, I think of within my book, I talk about three different fundamentals. And that first fundamental is around the parent managing themselves and their mindset. And then you call it being discouraged. I mean, you, you know, if you and if you think about discouraged is it comes from that fearful mindset. You know, I talked about those two different and the fear is that I can't fix it. You know, there's no hope for the future. And that then becomes fearful because you feel like it's a lost cause, for example. Um, Whereas if you can shift to a love based mindset, you start to see hope out there. And then that provides the energy to continue to move forward. So you also are aware and address this in your book that shifting mindset, you know, we we can agree, okay, fearful is not going to take me the direction I want. It would be better to have a loving mindset, but getting from A to B, getting from fear to love, that's hard for a lot of people. How do it we, how, what are the steps and the scaffolding that you give to support people around shifting their mindset, especially when they're reactive in the moment? Yeah, absolutely. And it is, it's a challenge. And with, because of that, you have to be very intentional. So it's kind of the first step is for this parent to sort of open up to the possibility of making a shift. And um, I like to, you know, encourage parents to think in terms of a growth mindset. You know, that's kind of the first thing you have to be able to adopt a growth mindset, which means I'm going to make an effort to get better. No different than if you decided to take on a health and wellness program, right? You got to sort of say, okay, I'm going to step into this knowing it's I've got to make some effort here. And so that's the, the first step. And then from there, I like to, you know, sort of the next thing is is to start to create some awareness. And again, it's in the, there's needs to be some intentionality here. It's, it's starting to be aware. And I like to, for parents to look and be aware of the emotions they're they're experiencing because those are signals as to where they're coming from. If they start to f- experience anger or frustration or disappointment, you know, those kinds of emotions, that's typically a sign that they're fear based at that moment. And so it's just a signal, you know, it's something that and if they notice, oh, I must be coming from a fearful and they may not know why, but I must be fear based. And so the kind of the process I like to walk them through is, okay, now you have that awareness, try to create a pause, stop for a minute and create a pause. And then it's a question of, okay, how else can I look at this situation? You know, you sort of ask yourself that question, you know, if, um, and actually I like, I have three questions. I love, they're sort of simple, but it's amazing. It can have some impact. Um, The three questions are, who do or what do I need to forgive in this situation? So you kind of ask yourself that. If you create that pause, ask, who do I need to forgive? Then you, to create a little transition, you say, well, what am I grateful for? in this scenario or what can I be grateful for? So you're trying to move from 
you know, being fearful to more of a grateful or compassionate mindset, or what can I be compassionate about? And then the final question is, how can I make a difference here? And that sort of is the action oriented piece. You know, once you've shifted that mindset, now what do I see as a potential action I can take to move this forward? And how can I make a difference? So those are an example of three questions that somebody can use to help create that shift in mindset, you know, kind of in the moment. And so with intentionality, we move our, we, we do the compassion piece. We walk through the three steps. I can still hear parents saying, you know, if I just lovingly, uh, compassionately understand my child's lack of motivation around homework, what's my action piece to make them do their darn homework because they're going <laughs> to fail. Oh, wait, that's, I'm going back to fear. I fear they're going right. to fail, but if I just love them, they're not going to do it. And no. then it's going to be on me that I failed my child because I feel this sense of responsibility in my role to make sure my child gets an education and they're floundering. I, I can't right. just love them into an A plus. How do I, yeah. what are my action steps? Right. So the, and the, it's a very common. And I think what happens in, in, I like to describe it as, you know, when the children are young, as parents, we tend to control what goes on, right? We decide when they go to a friend's house, we control everything. But as they move into those teenage years, there needs to be this natural transition away from the parent controlling everything. And in effect, you start to turn over that responsibility to the teen, which if you think about long term, that's the goal, right? When they're 25 years old, they need to be able to be able to be responsible for themselves. And a lot of times what parents struggle with is if I let go of controlling it, and like you say, I just love them, they don't know what the alternative is. You know, what do I do as an alternative? And that's where I like to introduce the mindset and the idea of empowerment. Your goal now is to support and empower them to take responsibility for whatever you mentioned, schoolwork, for example. So eventually that teen has to take ownership in their grades. And it's up to them and they have to start to see the results of that, um, you know, if, if they try or if they don't try. And the hard part for parent is letting go of that a little bit because we we want to control it. Right. And they, like I say we become fearful that they're they're going to fail at it. Interesting thought, though, is if you go in and control and try to manage that for them, the underlying message that you're communicating to that teenager is they aren't good enough to do it on their own. Right. And so. We don't mean to communicate that to them, but that's what they hear on the other end is, well, I must not be able to. That's why mom and dad's got to help me do all this stuff. And so if you can start to break that cycle, if you will, and, and turn that responsibility over to them and then develop skills to empower and influence them. And and it, it's a different skill set, if you will. And it, it's primarily it's around questions. Let's say you have in your example, a teenager has a bad grade on a test. You know, rather than going in and, and redesigning their study plan and you taking control of it, you have to start asking them, OK, that's a bummer for you. Right. You sort of it's their problem, not yours. And you say, you know, how could you study differently next time or what could you do different next time or where could you get additional resources? You know, you just sort of turn the problem back to them. And they may not know the questions to ask, so you ask them for them, but let them process and come up with an answer. Um, that's empowerment approach. You know, that's letting them process things. But again, the hard part is the parent has to be okay with the fact they may fail a few times in the process. And that's a struggle and can be a struggle. That's uh, one of the big 
fear, the big fear factor. Uh, And I think that that's where, you know, your expertise on reframing, reframing that and realizing that uh, this is where growth happens, you know, learning from past experience, even if the past experience is mistaking your way to success, right? I can't think of a better way to figure out you need to study more than to not study enough and get one bad grade. Right. And then think about this. This is, again, how I like to reframe it for parents is, you know, you go in and rescue the teen and do, you know, kind of take over and control it. Uh, one, it damages the relationship, first of all. But on top of that, you're also not, you know, the the reframing of that is if you let them go through that and experience them and, and, and support them in solving that problem, you're teaching them resourcefulness which is huge, right? You want them to be resourceful, to feel like they have the ability to solve their own problems and they can get through something. And then the other big one is resiliency, right? Can they go through a struggle and know that they can come out the other end and be okay? And the only way to develop resourcefulness and resiliency is to go through some difficult times. And it's better that they do that inside the loving environment of your home than when they're 25 years old or 30 years old and they're out on their own. I mean, they need to already hopefully have those skills before they get there. And so if you look at it from that perspective, it's like, oh, this is a great, you know, we've had times where our kids have had issues and failed a little bit. And it's like, oh, wait, this is a great opportunity for them to develop some character going forward. But you have to then approach it that way. How do we um, get parents to 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 realize that, as their child is building their resiliency and maybe not performing optimally with some of their responsibilities, that this is not a reflection on them. Like I find that parents can say, oh, I know I need to let them fail or I know I shouldn't step in and rescue, but they're so concerned with their own prestige that what will the teacher think of me? What will the people at the hockey practice think if my kid doesn't come with all his equipment? So I got to check his bag. They're really concerned with their own prestige. How do we, how do we get parents themselves to get okay (laughs) with raising imperfect children and that they'll survive that themselves? Right. It's a great point. And it's it's very, very common. So the first thing I would say to parents is give yourself some grace if if you relate to that whole possibility there. And I like to also encourage parents to think of parenting as a personal growth program for themselves. And so that's the first piece of it I would throw out is, hey, you know, this is an opportunity for you to grow and develop as a person, not just you developing your child, but you as a person. And one of the areas of growth is in your own ability to, again, choose between a fearful and a love-based mindset. And if you think about that prestige, they're they're fearful that they're not going to look good. And it, it goes back to not being good enough and not feeling like they belong and, you know, all of that kind of internal mindset issues. And this is an opportunity to step into that and see if you can start to create some shift there. And I always throw out that if you think that that's an awesome opportunity, because if as a parent, and I know for myself as a person, as I have gone through, and we've all gone through it, you know, as you go through that, your life just works better. 
not not just your families and you being a parent, but everything in your life works better if you start to be more love centered. And part of that is having that love for yourself, if you will, and having that being able to be comfortable with yourself and and in knowing that you can make a difference and that you don't have to be perfect, you know, as you described. And it's all mindset when you think about it. It's not so much about doing something different. It's about your mindset and your beliefs and your values and how you're processing information. And so there's an opportunity for a parent to step into that if they're open. But again, the first step, they got to have a growth mindset. And if they're willing to say, oh, this is an opportunity for me to grow and learn and to put some effort towards that, that growth. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Often when a family will come in for family counseling and the presenting issue will be a, a child that's got some unruly behavior, you know, I, and I think, thank goodness for this kid, because he managed to get enough symptomatology that was unbearable to bring people into counseling so that now we're going to like learn how to solve problems, how to be better communicators. Right. Parents are going to figure out their wiring and what triggers that they're going to learn all these things that if this kid, you know, was behaving better, you probably suboptimally would have skimmed along parenting. But like right. now, now you're going to learn all these amazing things that are going to improve the quality of your life in so many of your ways, not just within your family, but, uh, you know, out in, out in the bigger world. It's it's a gift that these these kids bring. And, but you have you have a, a concept, too, about understanding these these kids that are disturbing or creating worries and for parents, whether that's you know, starting to dapple with drugs or hanging around with a, a bad friend group or, you know, mental health issues. Some, something comes up where parents are seeing bad choices, bad behavior. You know, that's that's how they're reaching out to you in the the academy, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. It's typically, you know, they're feeling a little lost, you know, they're stressed and lost about what's going on. And, and it can be actually social media. I'm sure you're dealing a lot with social media right now becomes a big question for, you know, how do I deal with that? And again, a lot of times the initial 
contact. It's about, I don't know what to do or how to control this situation. And it goes back to that control. And so the first shift is, okay, it's not so much about controlling what's going on. It's about how do we empower your teenager to make better choices? How do we empower them to be more responsible? Because again, the ultimate goal is, I mean, if you control the environment and the social media, for example, in your home, but when they're 25 and they're living on their own, they're addicted to it, you haven't helped them at that point, right? They have to be able to start to manage and make better choices. Same things with drugs and alcohol. I mean, we see that where, you know, teens, you know, they get involved. Um, It may be able to be controlled somewhat to keep it from being a big problem when they're at home, but they don't really learn how to be responsible around it. And then when they get into their 20s, it does become an issue that's a real problem for them. And so the goal is to put them in a position to be responsible and to act responsibly. And um, that's where empowerment comes in and building connection comes in because you can't influence them without a strong connection. I think that's another important point to make is that connection has to be there first. Yeah. Now, these aren't bad kids. Yeah. And it's not that they're bad kids. And and actually, one of my uh, little rules of thumb I like to share with parents is that any unwanted or bad behavior is first a call to connect or a call for love. And they're acting that way because it, it all starts with them feeling isolated or alone or left out. And what happens is, you know, that creates this negative energy or emotion for the child. And sometimes it's just got to get out. And it comes out typically in bad behavior. Um, and they're not always connected. And you've, I'm sure you've seen, I mean, a child struggling and feeling stressed out around a grade on a math test, for example. And the end result is they pick a fight with their younger sibling. Right. And it's just it's negative energy that's got to get out. And so it gets out somehow. And my point is, you know, that's a symptom of this underlying need to reconnect and to feel safe and to, um, you know, kind of, again, just reconnect and feel some love. And then once that's there, then you can move on to resolving issues or influence or empowerment. But you got to have that connection first. Yeah. And again, going back to sort of jargony and Lyrian talk, we say kids who feel good, do good. Kids who feel bad, do bad. And so it doesn't help for us. If you have a kid who's doing bad, it doesn't help us to punish them and make them feel worse. We're just going to get more bad behavior. We're moving in the wrong direction. But a lot of times when we respond with love, parents will say, you're letting him off the hook. How can you? (laughs) That's a very different model of how change happens. Do you you get parents saying, but shouldn't there be a consequence? Shouldn't how you're letting him off the hook? You're, you know, that you're, you're going too easy on him. Well, and that's an interesting dynamic because, you know, I always say, well, you're not letting him off the hook. So let's say a teenager breaks curfew. Right. And the rule that's understood that is if you break curfew, you don't get to use the car for the next week, whatever it is within the family. Right. Well, when they break curfew, the question is, you can still enforce that rule, but you can do it with a compassionate heart. You know, that's I understand that that's upsetting for you. I understand it's frustrating. And you can have some compassion as opposed to saying you broke the rule. You're a bad kid. I told you you should have never done that. You know, you come at it more aggressively, if you will. And so just because you're approaching it from, a you know, having compassion, that's love based. They're going through a difficult issue. Um, you still can have some love in that environment. And if you think about it, 
if you approach it that way, it strengthens connection because the teen at least feels like they're heard, right? I mean, one of the things all of us experience is, you know, we want to feel heard. And if the teen's experiencing frustration and you tell them, well, you shouldn't be frustrated, you knew you were going to, you know, you were going to have this issue. I mean, you're telling, you're telling them their, their feelings aren't valid at that point, as opposed to approaching it with compassion and validating their, their feelings doesn't mean you're going to, you know, back off on the the consequence but you still can build connection in that scenario by approaching it with love and so it's it's a matter of you know being able to still hold firm if you will at the same time do it with from a love-based perspective if that makes i think that makes sense to me absolutely and and i think the curfew is a great example too to illustrate this um the power of influence and the power of the relationship because going back to the when my kids were in their teen years if i said i i really the 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 rationale behind this curfew is that i really can't fall into a deep sleep until i know that people right. are home and i'm getting exhausted i you know that i need to get my sleep now when your kids care about you yeah and then it's like you know we 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 want mom to be able to get her sleep. Like this is impacting her decisions that I'm making are impact my, my mom and I love her and I want her to get a good night's sleep. And there's a caring response from a caring child because we're in a good relationship. And so there's right. true empathy and compassion to be supportive to me. So that's right. the, that's the power of influence. If the relationship isn't there, they could say, who cares if you get a good night's right. sleep, you know, you're ruining my fun over here and making me do homework there. So uh, back at you. I'm, you know, right. I, I've got no goodwill for you. You got no goodwill for me. So it's right. it's everything in the teen years, right? And that's where that connection is so critical. That's the foundation of it. And in simple terms, they have to feel like you're on their side in some way. As a and and then they will be on your side as well. And so and you communicate that by you know listening to them and letting them have their opinions and letting you know we. One of the, my uh, strategies for building connection is curiosity and, you know, and asking curiosity based questions. And so you go to the teen and you say, you know, what's your favorite kind of music, for example, and they start talking about it. The key for the parent is, you know, they're sharing that you can't pass judgment on it and start telling them they're wrong. Right. It's their opinion. Let them have it. And, you know, I, I, I throw out an, an alternate response is, well, you know, that's an interesting perspective. I never thought of it that way. I mean, that's how you can respond and let them have their their opinion and their thoughts. And that helps them to feel heard. That helps them to feel like there's some trust in the relationship, which, you know, puts you in a position that build that connection. So there's a lot of value in building that first. So then when you deal with one of these issues, curfew or whatever it might be, you've got that foundation to work from. So important what you just said there, as we're talking about moving the, from the fear to the love mindset, and then in that love mindset, not making it conditional or judgmental, right? right. To, to be able to connect in a way that is pure curiosity, not, you know, why are you wasting all that time on TikTok? That's just brain rot. You know, why don't you do that's <laughs> right. opposed to like, it's very judgmental. Like it, that right. is. Yeah. Right. Who do you like to follow on TikTok? What fascinates you about that influencer? Whatever. Right. I mean, that's like, uh, yeah. 
you learn so much more about your your this person, this person in front of them. They are their own person, right? Getting to know this person as they right. uh, individuate and become their authentic self. It should be something that we stand in wonder of. Right, exactly. And it's and I tell you, they can be so thoughtful and insightful if you just let them talk a little bit, you know, without damping it down. And the, the more you op- allow them to express themselves, the more they will do that. And again, that deepens the connection, which in the end gives you the opportunity to influence and empower them. And it, it they're they're connected, but the con- the connection comes first. You, like as you said, you can't influence or empower if you don't have a good solid connection. So that's you know the first place to start um, is there. Yeah, and I mean to, to your point, if if you touch a hot stove and you get burnt, are you going to touch it a second and third time? If every time your child comes to you and reveals a little bit about themselves, they get judged or criticized, they're 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 going to shut down. So this is the trying to rebuild that trust of being a safe person to open up to, so that you can get answers to these curiosity questions. But you right. have nine. I really love that you don't just say go get connected with your kid. You really are in the book. You really spell out nine very different ways, and and you did talk about the the curious one. Can you say? A a little bit of more, give some more ideas to parents who might be feeling a little lost. They have the desire, but they're not uh, not finding their their way. <laughs> yeah, um, one I would throw out, and this requires a little self reflection on the parent, is the idea of being present. And the the premise is when your teen comes to you and they're maybe ready to talk. Sometimes as parents, we aren't present in that. What I mean by that is you're looking at your phone or you're working on something, you know, you're doing an email or you're watching something on Netflix yourself. I mean, if they are ready to talk, you need to drop everything and turn and focus your attention and be present with them. And because what that communicates is what they're saying is important, which helps to deepen that connection. So this, the whole idea of being present and available is a great, way to connect again because it communicates that sense of value to them and you have to realize it's not going to be at the most opportune time i I think actually in the book or on this topic i talk about my my younger daughter coming home at 11 o'clock at night and i just happen to be in the kitchen normally i'd be in bed and you know she makes a comment she said she she worked as a waitress and she, she made a comment that was like um you know people can be so difficult And, you know, I could have just said, yeah, I know what you mean. Good night and gone back to bed at that point. But as an alternative, you recognize, oh, you know, this may be an opportunity to talk a little bit. And so you ask a curiosity question. What do you mean by people being so difficult? And then you turn and sit down and listen and let her talk for a minute. And again, it was late at night. I would have you know, preferred maybe to be in bed at that point, but she was ready to talk. And as you know, I recognize it as an opportunity to be there and listen. And then it goes back to what we were just talking about. When she starts to explain everything that happened, it's not my job to fix this. She just needs to talk, right? So I just listen and acknowledge her her feelings and validate what she's going through without trying to fix everything in the process. Because again, it's not my job to control it. I'm just trying to provide a safe place for her to let those negative emotions dissipate a little bit. So um, so being present, I think, is is another great way to connect as well. Uh, that's that's so beautiful. And, and I just, uh, I'll share a story, not with my kids, but with my um I'm divorced now, but my then husband, uh, when I would do speaking engagements or teach my night classes, my parenting classes, and I would come home, same thing. That's what made me think about it at the 11 o'clock at night. So I'd right. come home late at the end of one of these. And he, he would inevitably, you know, be now 
in the middle of, of a television show or a movie or something. And every single time he would turn off the television and t- turn and look at me and say, how did it go tonight? And it was so to me to say that I'm more important than, you know, the cliffhanger of this, you know, sci-fi right. movie that you're watching or, you know, that, that my arrival home was the most important thing to you. And you genuinely checking in on how my evening was, was so validating of my importance and my worth in, in that relationship, you know? And so right. that showing up, that being present, not just the keeping the TV and shouting, you know, over your shoulder, how'd it go tonight? You know, right, not really right. wanting to hear the answer. <laughs> right. it, it can be so powerful. And it's a great way to build connection. And and we've mentioned another one of them. And we've, I've mentioned it a few times. It's the idea of being compassionate. You know, that's being able to listen to them and have some compassion for what they're going through. And again, you can see the connection between these and the title of the book. It's about how to be the parent your child, your teenager needs you to be. You know, it, it's having that presence with you. Because again, compassion communicates that, um, you know, there's value in what they're going through and that you understand or, or can acknowledge what they're what they're experiencing and going through. So that's, you know, another example of a way to build connection. I like the idea of shared experiences. I'll just share one more, which is the idea of a shared experience. And that's a way of having quality time. You know, we think about time with the child. And sometimes you can have that quality time, you know, in the ride home on the car after you pick them up from school. But another great thing to do is to try to create some kind of a unique shared experience. And actually, there's one story that I I don't know, I I just find this really cool. I, I might share there's a local church that does a mother-daughter mud run every summer. And the premise is, and it's for teenage daughters, this church has a quite a you know, nice grounds and they take and they basically hose down and create a mud course. It's a half mile long or whatever. And they have the mom and daughter make their way through this obstacle course. And when they get to the end of it, Obviously, they're both covered in mud and they're, you know, they're just a mess. Well, what the daughter doesn't know is that the mother has been instructed to write a letter ahead of time. And the their prompt is, you're not very beautiful right now. Meaning, you know, because they're and they read this letter to them after the, they're in the mud run. You're not very beautiful right now, but here are all the reasons why I think you're beautiful. And then the mom lists out a lot of internal characteristics, right? And the point is that's an experience, right? That's a shared experience. And in the pastor that I talked to about this says that he's heard those daughters will take those letters to college with them and they pull them out when they're, you know, feeling homesick and it's late at night, they go back to those and it, it becomes part of that connection between the mother and the daughter at that point. So that's an example of a shared experience. Other things, I love educational things, you know, take a cooking class with your son, you know, something like that, again, where you can do something together. So those are great ways to to build connection. And it's about quality time at that point. I, I love all those examples. And uh, to your point about the the putting it in writing the note at the end, not just the doing the actual the mud experience together, but that uh, that writing, if, if you have a kid whose ear you feel you can't get, they, they are so curious, they will want to read whatever you write. So if you leave it as a right. love note under their pillow, or, you know, a shared journal back and forth, they to your, you know, they they may not express it. They may not right. say thank you, but you know, it's, you know, it's sinking in, you know, it's, right. it, it, it does matter. It does count. Those are beautiful examples. Absolutely. Yep. 
Is there um, is there anything else you want to make sure that uh, more? I mean, there's so much information in the book, and I really want to encourage parents to pick it up. And I will put the, the link to the book in, in uh, our show notes, obviously. But is there anything before we uh, wrap up this conversation, any holes that you want to fill or make sure that are messages that you want to make sure that our parents hear today? Well, I would say that probably the, the most important or the biggest opportunity is around adopting that growth mindset and realizing that parenting is a journey and you're going to be confronted with new circumstances and obstacles and issues every day, which is why you have to have that growth mindset. That's probably the most critical thing in getting through the teenage years. I mean, I like to, you know, it's a journey. If you think about it with your first child, you know, when they're 10 years old, you've never had a 10 year old before, right? So every day is a new day in experience with a 10 year old. Well, when they turn 15, it's a new day with a 15 year old, and you're going to have new things that happen and differences. And then if for some reason, the family has to move, oh, here's a new circumstance that you never dealt with before. So there's always going to be these new issues and circumstances out there. And the first step in, in getting through those is having that growth mindset and being open to, okay, how can I grow and learn from this situation? How can my teenager grow and learn from this situation? But it, it you can't get anywhere if you aren't open to the possibility of growth, which is where hope comes from. You know, when you have hope for the future comes when you realize the future can be different than it is today. And so if a parent is struggling and there's relationship with the teen is, is disruptive and it's not good, the hope for the future is, okay, we can grow. Each of us can grow and learn and become better, which is going to make the whole situation better. But it all starts with growth. I love it. I love it. Thank you so very much. Um, do, can I toss this back to you to say, where, where can people find you? Again, I'll put it in print, but let me just throw it to you. And, and any upcoming courses or tell us about the Academy. How can people follow you and, and get more? Sure. So the it's familyenrichmentacademy.com. So again, familyenrichmentacademy.com. You can go there. That's the website. And actually, one thing I might mention, um, right on the homepage, I've got a free resource for all of the listeners out there. Um, one of the most common, and we've talked about a little bit about it. One of the most common questions is, I can't get my teenager to open up or talk to me. And one of the solutions is you have to ask better questions. And so this free resource I have, I have 10 questions you should never ask your teenager. You know, think of them as like conversation killers and then 10 great questions, the conversation starters. And again, it's a free resource. It's a great way to connect to our community. And it's right there on the homepage of the website. You can um, request the download for that. So anyway, so, but the website again is the best place to connect and learn about the coaching programs. I publish content on a regular basis, much like you. So there's a blog there and a podcast, you know, that sort of thing as well, but it's all available there at the, at the, at the website. Wonderful. Great. Well, we'll put that in the show note as well. And thank you so, so much. A wonderful conversation. And thanks for all you're doing for families to help get through these years. And so that people know you're not alone. There's hope, hope and help out there. <laughs> My pleasure. And as I say, it's always an honor to be able to serve and support people, you know, as they move along this parenting journey. So I, I appreciate the opportunity to engage and in, in hopefully maybe throw out a little insight for somebody in your audience. Thank you. I'm sure you have. As you know, it takes a village to make a podcast, so thanks to my team, including Max Cotter, my editor and technician, as well as the crew at H2O Digital. This podcast was recorded in Toronto, Canada. We acknowledge the land we are meeting on is the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabek, 
the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat people, and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit and Métis. We also acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.